live from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful, sunny California. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davies. Chris, how are you doing today? Not three bad, Rob. Thank you very much, and I hope you're the same. I'm very hard. I know you got a, you're still got a good schedule going this week. Oh, I'm cranking. There's no moss growing on my shoes. No, you have an event at the uh, Chino... Uh, Chino Basin Water District tomorrow and uh, Saturday. Yes, I'm sorry, Saturday. You're right. <laughs> See, time flies. <laughs> Don't go there tomorrow. <laughs> You'll be the only person there. And you're in the wonderful town of Barstow. Barstow on Saturday and uh, our events with the Mojave uh, Desert Water and it's going to be at the Barstow Community College. Uh, tonight is our Ag Night and we have our right. special Ag host, Miss Ingy. Uh, well, she's she's a person who is very well known and and and. Uh, I can't even highlight enough of this person. She's really, she's identified as one of the the most important persons and knowledgeable persons in ag in, ag irrigation. So, Miss Ingi Bisconer, Ingi, are you there? I am. Uh, thank you for that kind introduction, uh, Rob and Chris. I'm happy to be here. And you know, agriculture it feeds us three times a day. We all like that. Oh, yeah. Abs- yeah. absolutely. Good yeah. point. Just, just look at me. <laughs> I like food. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember your wife telling you that you needed to get in shape, and you said you were shape, that you were round. That you were round. That, that's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've got Rob and Chris. We have a great show uh, coming up tonight. As you recall, our last show last month, we had Julian Cribb from Australia on yep. the line, uh, talking about his book, uh, Surviving the 21st Century. And I hope we were all struck with. Um, you know, how the consumers, uh, the power of the dollar in the consumer's hands can really implement change. Oh, absolutely. And this, show, and, this, and this show tonight is kind of a follow-up on that because now we're going to take it down to the farm. You know, how can how can the power of the dollar implement change on the farm? And we have two gentlemen tonight that are going to be perfect to talk about that. Excellent. Did they bring the beer? Well, you know what? Because um, the other guy, the other guy from Australia, didn't didn't, didn't, didn't <laughs> no, with the Foster's yeah, no, beer. No, we we let out a big secret, and I was in Australia in June. They don't drink Fosters there. They I drink, know. They that, actually that... they actually drink Corona. Yeah, Corona. <laughs> wow. VB and Forex. You know. That's <laughs> no, amazing. but our second guest uh, is part of the Vineyard team, and we all know what comes from vineyards. Barley. Mm-hmm. Oh, grapes! <laughs> you know, and um, grapes make wine. So we'll yes. be talking a little bit about wine, sustainable wine. Do you know? Um, they make, do you know? For, do you, did you know? Last thing I'll say. Do you know they make? Uh, there's a there's a um, uh, vodka that's made from grapes called Ciroc. Uh, no, but I bet Craig would know that. But I don't know much about wine. I oh. know a little more about light beer. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jim, Jim, our first guest will uh, know something about beer too. So if you want to talk about beer, we can talk about that. That's your show. Go do it. We'll just stand by. Oh, what's that? It's your show. We just stand by. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Jim. Uh, welcome to the show. Jim, thank you, Ingie. I appreciate that. I'm here. Very well. Uh, Jim, uh, let me introduce you to our listening audience. For those that don't know you, uh, Jim is a friend and colleague of mine for many years. Um, he is a registered professional ag engineer from California and has 30-plus years of experience in the California agricultural industry. Jim Anschutz is currently the founder and owner of Ag H2O, located in Fresno, California. Hey, with a name like that, you can't miss what you're all about, right? Ag H2O, what, what do you think you're all about? <laughs> Water and agriculture. 
You're also a member of the Water Energy and Technology Center located at Fresno State University. And, you know, Jim basically founded his company to provide farmers with tech solutions to control the rising cost of water, energy, and nutrients. And he does that through practical measurement and innovatively engineered irrigation system retrofits and upgrades. They're simple, they're proven, they're, you know, available components used by the global water industry are the basis of these um, services. And, you know, it helps farmers um, modernize their systems, and here's the money part, and less than a two-year return on investment. So we're going to hear more about how uh, Jim's work at Ag H2O has helped do that. And, you know, I know that he'll be talking about training because that's a key component um, of any sort of technological improvement. Um, his background, uh, Jim has held executive positions with leading drip irrigation manufacturers, both domestically and abroad. He was an irrigation engineer for Superior Farming Company, where he was responsible for irrigation services on 40,000 acres of diversified ag, and that's where I met Jim about a million years ago. And he was a partner in an ag farm management company with Metropolitan Life Insurance and an irrigation manager for Modesto Irrigation District. So a stellar um, background to be helping farmers today. So, Jim, welcome. Um, I wanted to touch on a presentation that you and your partners made last fall at the California Ag Irrigation Association meeting covering a March 2017 report titled Management of Ag Energy and Water Use with Access to Improved Data. Tell us who sponsored this report, who authored it, and what the goals were in developing this report, please. Okay. Well, City Gas and Electric Company here in uh, California probably supplies 70% of the irrigated agriculture with power. They have uh, some special meters that they've been installing over the last few years called smart meters. And what these smart meters are is they can report back to the utility company um, real-time, how much energy is being used on the farm to pump water. So they have a device. They wanted to know more about technology use in agriculture to see what they might do in order to be able to integrate that device into industry in order to provide a, another piece of information to the grower in order to reduce his overall cost relative to energy. Uh, the we were contracted with by PG&E and the California Energy Commission, we being the Center for Irrigation Technology here at Fresno State, and uh, my company, Ag H2O. The, uh, the goals of the project is they wanted to learn more about farmers' current use of technologies and what would be available out there. So the three principal project goals were they wanted us to identify the types of information software and hardware used for irrigation management, determine the current adoption rate of those technologies, and then to help identify gaps and strategies for accelerating that adoption. So those were the goals. So, Jim, with, with your background, I bet you thought that this is going to be a cakewalk and you probably knew what the answers would be and with all your experience in agriculture but I know from talking to you that things turned out a little bit differently. Tell us what you found and, you know, how it was different than what you expected. What, what was the most surprising finding of this study? 
Okay, just as you said, I had told my partners and also the Center for Irrigation Technology, this is going to be fairly simple since I know all the answers. But uh, <laughs> even after all the years in the field, I didn't know all the answers. I found out some new things. I had some old things confirmed. But uh, what what we actually found out, uh, it was derived from literature review. We did online surveys. And most importantly, we interviewed 31 people in the technology space. That included manufacturers, um, dealers, academic uh, consultants, uh, and growers themselves, and asked them some specific questions about their use or lack of use of technology. Uh, it was derived from but, but the key findings were growers said, I don't see the value. But basically, the industry has not done a very good job of demonstrating the value. And also, most of the technologies are used to help in scheduling irrigations. Um, they provide graphs and curves. And the grower said, I don't want to be an, 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 an analyst. I don't have yeah. the time to do that. I don't have anybody on staff mm -hmm. to do that. They said also that most mm -hmm. equipment was very difficult to deploy. And growers... Believe it or not, in agriculture here in California, still have a very low trust in technology and data provided. They're still very leery of it. But most importantly, I go back to the first thing I said, they didn't see the value. They've had less than satisfactory performance in the past with these types of technologies. That's limited the adoption rate dramatically. And the lack of training. When they do attempt to put something in place in order to improve their overall use of water and energy. There's no one out there to provide the training as to how to use it and integrate it into their operation. They also underlined the fact that farming is like a military operation, so the equipment needs to be of military grade. Then you ask me, did I find what I expected to a certain degree? And really, what was one of the most surprising finds? I had several growers tell me when they looked at the graphs and curves for these soil moisture monitoring devices, which tell them how much moisture they have in the ground, that, again, they didn't want to be analysts. They wanted the program to tell them what to do. Now, most farmers don't like to be told what to do, but they use those words specifically. And I asked them, do you want to be told what to do? They said, look, once we trust the data, we trust the equipment, we see that it's performing, we've been trained, we want it to give it an actionable direction. We'll decide whether we implement it or not, but something which was actionable. And when I thought about it, that's what growers need. They need some type of technology which will take in all of this data, analyze it, and provide them with a recommendation which they can take or leave. That was probably the most surprising thing I found. Yeah, well, we hear so much about, hey, big data is going to really uh, help us solve the world's food problem and do more with less and all that. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It's a bunch of charts and graphs, and if it's not meaningful to the grower, then it's more of a pain, and they're busy doing a million other things. And so huh, they just want a recommendation that they can act on. So how how um, uh, how are we going to get there? I guess that's... That's um, that's part of um, the challenge, I suppose. And maybe the most important thing is the first thing that you said, which was they didn't see the value of it, which means 
the technology really hasn't been monetized properly. Now, it has not been it, monetized properly, correct. Yes, and in uh, in the Western Grower and Sipper magazine recently, Hank Bickless um, highlighted an example from the report of what happens to costs and yields and liability when on-farm irrigation uniformity is poor. So I'd like to ask you to walk us through that. But, but one other comment, you know, you, the second thing you said was that most of this technology is providing irrigation scheduling recommendations or information, not even recommendations, but information. And I think we all know that you can be the best scheduler in the world, but if the <laughs> uniformity of the system itself is uh, not good, you're really not making much headway. So if the that, that was uniform- one of- Go ahead. And, th- and you, you walked into that, and that was one point I was going to make before we talk about the Western Grower and Shipper uh, uh, article, yeah. is that in all of this, we then were able to educate the utility company on the fact that we're trying to put all these technologies onto um, technological irrigation systems like drip irrigation, but we're putting them on older systems that are not operating properly. So we're trying to suggest how much water to put on and when to put it on, and we don't even know how effectively those systems are actually putting the water on. Because when the growers are interviewed, as to whether they knew what their irrigation system efficiency was, they weren't really sure what we were talking about. Once we explained to them what we were talking about, not many had ever tested their systems. Not many actually understood that that was necessary. They assumed that even though the system's 10 or 15 years old, it's still operating like it was at the time that they purchased it. Well, no piece of equipment continues to maintain its performance without maintenance. And there's a tremendous lack of maintenance on those systems because of very poor training and education. There is nowhere that you can go to get the needed training and education. Not saying there aren't a lot of materials out there because we demonstrated to PG&E there's lots of materials available, but they're not in the format that most people can utilize them, and they're inconsistent in their presentation. So training is a big big black hole. We even had conversations with the community colleges during and after this report to try and ask them why they weren't developing more training programs for irrigation technicians to utilize this new technology, just like they have auto mechanics. And they said, well, we can't teach people how to use a particular manufacturer's device. Most of the devices are fairly similar. It's like teaching an auto mechanic He can learn auto mechanics, but he can work on Chevrolets or Fords or anything else. So there's a real need. We're struggling in the industry how to provide that education. And to me, out of all of this, the two things that were critically important for utility companies to realize is we need training and we need a methodology to be able to help growers get a baseline on the performance of their systems and tweak that or tune it before they begin adding on uh, more sophisticated irriga- or, uh, uh, equipment and technologies. Yeah, it's, it's hard to automate something that isn't even properly running in a manual mode, right? <laughs> um, that doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. Okay, so you've highlighted that there's a huge amount of opportunity for improvement in uh, our on-farm irrigation 
practices. And maybe we could get everybody's attention to do more about this if they understood what what it's really costing us, both in foregone food production and wasted, um, you know, energy and water and fertilizer and then to add insult to injury, um, maybe um, uh, having <laughs> that, that water and fertilizer end up in places where we don't want it, like in the groundwater supply. So we have uh, pollution and liability issues. So walk us through the example that highlighted how much it costs a grower in all these aspects when uniformity is poor. Okay, well, we worked along with Simplot with a few growers down in the uh, Oxnard Ventura area, uh, celery growers in particular, that are using drip irrigation. They're using a um, an emission tape that's used for one or two or three or four crops. Um, the degradation in uniformity, 50% of it typically the result of plugging. You know, you think about it, not many growers are adding chemicals to keep the water in their irrigation systems clean. We all know what would happen to our swimming pools if we didn't put acid and chlorine in them. Right. They turn green. When things turn green on the inside of a drip system, they have a tendency to plug. So Simplot has a program that we went out. We measured the performance of the system, the distribution uniformity. Then we treated the water and flushed it. So we flushed out all those nasty green things. And then we tested the uniformity of the system again. And we saw in all cases, except one, where they had brand new tape or brand new tubing, uh, an improvement in the distribution uniformity. Then we translated that into an improvement in your distribution uniformity can result in significant savings and also increased production. And I'll look at a couple examples here. Um, some of the systems were at uh, 75% distribution uniformity. So a new system operates at about 90%. So they were significantly off their design point. In order to be able to supply the water and fertilizer to the crop that you need because of the deficiency of that system, you actually have to put on 78 pounds more of fertilizer per acre you have to use 1.6 acre feet, one and a half acre feet, which is about uh, 20 some inches, more water. The water is very expensive and very limited and becoming more limited and $60 an acre more in energy. So those were significant costs that the grower would have to incur in order to supply that entire field with enough nutrients and water in order to, to uh, provide a uh, next, you know, the expected yield. Now, if you're able to improve that up to 85% by just taking care of the plugging, uh, now you're talking 22 pounds more fertilizer to offset the deficiency, seven-tenths of an acre foot, and $20 per acre. So there's a significant savings by improving the distribution uniformity by about 10%. And that's generally what you see if you attend to the plugging aspect. With the celery crop, with those two uh, uniformities, um, even at 85%, you're still not at the full 90%. You have about $200 an acre of yield reduction. With the 75% distribution uniformity, you have about close to $600 of yield loss. So poor uniformity, it just makes common sense. If you're not supplying the nutrients and the water, uh, that the plant needs, 
you're not going to yield as much. It's costing the grower significantly by not keeping those systems clean. Now, again, there's not a lot of people out there to educate the growers on the importance of keeping them clean. A lot of growers look at the cost to supply the cleaning agents, and they forego that cost, but they end up costing themselves significantly more. One of the most interesting things of this whole process was we had Simplot check the biological loads prior to the filter that filters the water that goes into the system. The biological content of the water increased downstream of the filter. So the filter took out a lot, but it also allowed a lot of organics to move into the system, which quickly started to generate more. So without a continuous injection of some type of chemical, like the swimming pool analogy, with chlorine and acid, we're providing a very nice environment with those nutrients downstream to generate things which are going to clog the system and decrease the uniformity. And it's well, just due to lack of education and knowledge. Yeah, so, you know, with the couple of minutes we have left, what do you think the top three things are that we in industry should do or that we should encourage the farmers to do I mean, they're leaving tons of money on the table. Look at all the costs that you just talked about, and then even more so, the the yield that they're, um, you know, the opportunity cost on the lost yield is, you just said $600 an acre, whereas the other things were $1 to $200 an acre. How do we convince the growers to pay attention to this and, and you know, make the industry or the education um, uh, organizations uh, provide the proper training? for them? Well, by hit and miss, growers have been hearing more about the importance of uniformity. Uh, In order to solve the educational problem, I think that's a long-term situation. We need to find somebody to filter or to, to process this information through and make it available to people in a consumable format. And I think that's a unique challenge and a unique challenge for academia on how do we go about training people and then how do we get that training to the people in the field? Yeah. And we need to do it. Yes? Go, no, go ahead. And we need to continue to let growers or make growers aware of how much it's actually costing them not to pay particular attention to their irrigation system. They pay particular attention to how much diesel their tractors use, how much pesticides they put through their spray rigs, but they've never determined a baseline on the operation of their system. So first we need to give them a baseline of how how well or how poorly it's operating. And then we need to have an effective way to train them on how to improve that. And I think with the SIGMA, which is the groundwater legislation uh, that is in place, and the uh, lack of uh, water and the reduction on the amount that we can pump, growers are now seeking information on how do I, how am I going to attend to the Sigma requirements in the future. So we have an immediate training uh, need, and I'm not sure that anybody is poised yet to be able to do that effectively. Well, speaking of Sigma, uh, you and I are both uh, on the board of directors for the California Irrigation Institute, so this is a good time to plug the upcoming conference of February 4th and 5th for those who are interested in those topics because there will be some discussion on Sigma and training and so forth there too. Um, 
So, Jim, how can people find out more about um, you, Jim Anschutz, uh, and Ag H2O, and uh, the report that uh, you made to CAIA last year? Well, the report to CAIA is actually on the Center for Irrigation Technologies website. So if oh. you just Google Center for Irrigation Technology, it's there. And also the uh, report that we did for PGD is there. Or you can go to the California Ag Irrigation Association's website, and the presentation we made for them is on their website. Or you can contact me at AgH2O through the Water and Energy Technology Center here at Fresno State, and I'll be happy to uh, make those make those copies available. Very well, Jim. Thank you for sharing this information. Anything else you'd like to add in the last minute here? No, I uh, just want to let everyone know that we have a real educational need. Those that are involved in agriculture want to learn more about irrigation, uh, please get a hold of me. I'll give you as much information I have as to where you can obtain that education, and hopefully we can uh, convince you to join our little consortium on trying to figure out how are we going to more effectively uh, educate growers out there to take care of their systems and what the cost benefit of that is. Very well. All right. Uh, thank you, Jim. That was Jim Anschutz with AgH2O. Our next guest will be Craig McMillan of the Vineyard Team. So stick around. Uh, Rob and Chris, I'll hand it back over to you for station break. All right. Thanks very much. I'd like to thank uh, Jim Anschutz for being on the show, Jim. That was great to listen to uh, every word of that, being uh, an old ag guy myself. And I mean old as, uh, as though it was back in time a while ago and old because I'm not a young chicken. But just uh, awesome to hear how... It's just small improvements in, in DU can result in a, in such high levels of benefit potential in cost and in yield. It was, uh, it was great. Thanks for being on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. We're going to take a little break uh, for our commercials. We'll be back, and then uh, Chris is going to tell us about him being an old chicken. Hi, and welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone show. And uh, our, our special host uh, today at, at all the ag shows is Miss Iggy Bisconer. And... Uh, I'll tell you, you know, they always have these things that I see for the policeman that you can go right do a ride, ride along with the policeman and see what yep. goes on. I'd love to go on a ride along with you and see what you guys do with the egg stuff. Is that that hey, blows any, me away? We would, we would love to have you along uh, anytime. You let me know when you're when you're available, and we'll get you in a pickup and out on a farm. All right, I can like that. All right, so I'll let, turn it back over to you for your next guest. Well, thanks. Maybe we'll have you come visit uh, Craig, our next um, um, guest, Craig McMillan uh, of the Vineyard team in Atascadero. I'm sure that would be a, a fun visit. Well, Craig, are you there? Well, I am here. The, the, just uh -huh. the, the last thing I'll say on that matter is, I don't know if you know, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, I got nominated with the ASABE for a device that I created. I call it the Wine Bliss. And it, oh. <laughs> and it uses nanotechnology crystals and magnetics, and it alters the taste of wine. So wow. I'd, I'd love to talk to, and I'm not going to do it on this show, but I'd love to sometime uh, uh, go out and buy a lunch or dinner for Craig and, and uh, talk to him about this product. So hopefully I'll know in, December, in November if I won something out of it, but it'll be pretty cool. Anyway, it's all yours. I think I think we need to take a road trip. Road trip, you know, yeah. off, to, <laughs> yeah. off to Tascadero, I think we need to go. Yeah. So, uh, all right, Craig, uh, welcome to the show. Um, let me tell the listening audience a little more about you. Um, Craig is the technical program manager for the Vineyard Team. It's a nonprofit organization that promotes 
sustainable farming practices in vineyards. And uh, along with our theme tonight, we're going to be talking about how to make it an economically sustainable um, farming practices in vineyards. So uh, Craig has a great background. He holds a Master of Science in Plant Protection Science from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and a Ph.D. in Sociology from Washington State University. That's an interesting combo. I like that. Craig has over 20 years of experience making wine and managing vineyards on the Central Coast, and since 2003, his work is focused on teaching and research in the areas of grape pest management, enology, viticulture, and the intersection of ag and human values. He's responsible for the educational content and research at the vineyard team, which identifies and promotes the most environmentally safe, viticulturally and economically sustainable farming methods while maintaining or improving quality and flavor of wine, grapes, and promoting the public trust of stewardship for natural resources. So welcome to the show, Craig. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, I, you know, we'll have to see what uh, Rob's invention is, but since you're a winemaker, maybe, uh, maybe you can make some hay out of that, or uh, no pun intended, maybe make some wine out of it. So Craig, tell us a little about yourself and how you ended up in the sustainable ag movement. Okay. Um, I grew up in the Midwest. And had never seen a grapevine until I moved to California when I was 22. And I absolutely fell in love with the plant. It was the most amazing plant I'd ever seen. I couldn't believe it. And one of my early mentors in viticulture was a very sustainability-oriented guy. And that's where I kind of learned to integrate that philosophy into everything that I did. And so when I started farming in my own small way and started consulting, uh, that was front and center part of what myself and my company you know, were all about. So it was exposure, you know, it was exposure. And, in fact, I work for the Vineyard Team now, but I was a Vineyard Team member uh, early on. Oh, Because uh-huh. I supported what they did, and I, I believed in the mission. And then some time went by, and, and here I am. Well, you probably listened in on Jim Anschutz's um uh, part of the show uh, just mm-hmm. now, and his call to action for the industry to do more about education and training for uh, growers like yourself and, and your team. So tell us about how the Vineyard team is doing that. You know, who formed it? How is it funded? How do you go mm-hmm. about identifying and promoting sustainable farming practices for wine grape growers? And, of course, we're on the water zone, so we always want to know how irrigation plays into all these things. <laughs> Of course. Yes. Um, the uh, the vineyard team was formed in the mid-90s by a group of uh, what I would call true believers. Some of them were growers. Some of them were extensionists, uh, consultants, and they wanted to improve the way that they farmed. They wanted to improve the sustainability of the practices. And the way that it started was uh, to find information and share it, but also to find people who were implementing various practices and then go see what they were doing. And that was the beginning of what we call tailgate meeting. And they literally were built around a tailgate. You'd say, well, Jenny's, you know, she's doing the cover crop uh, trial on her on her farm, so let's go visit that and see what that's all about. Mm-hmm. And so people would just show up at Block 9, and we'd put down a tailgate, and you'd have donuts and coffee and some printing material maybe, and it all happened out in the field. And that was the beginning of it. And we still uh, are a grower-to-grower 
organization. We really believe that the, the best kind of education is peer-to-peer. And so we have uh, tailgate meetings now. Um, we do some classroom stuff. A lot of the technical stuff needs some, some note-taking, essentially. But then we also have a, a vineyard portion of it. In some cases, it's all vineyard, but we're all outside. Um, and we have the host. And we have the host saying, okay, tell us, tell us what you're up to. Tell us what you're doing in this topic. And we get to actually see what they're doing. And that's the method of education that we use primarily. Now, we also have a podcast. We have a YouTube channel. We um, have a website with lots and lots of materials and articles and, and resources on there. Um, and then we have a big conference in the fall called Sustainable Ag Expo, which is a three-day conference where we bring in experts on whatever topics are kind of the important sustainability topics of the day to share the latest and the greatest and the most important information with the grower community as of today. And that conference is coming up in November, November 12th, 13th, and 14th. Okay. In San Luis Obispo, uh, where I am currently. <laughs> Staying okay. here in the radio show doesn't make a lot of sense, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's our model. That's a, that's that's what we do, and we've been doing it for, gosh, you know, coming up on 20 years now. Well, it sounds very effective. You know, the the tailgating uh, in-field education is really the best kind. I mean, you can do the book learning, and I've written a book, and, you know, it's uh, great for a reference on, on the shelf, but really you've, you've got to roll up your sleeves and get out into the field and actually do some of these things to uh, make improvements or show improvements. So I really like that aspect about um, your program. Now, on your on your uh, uh, seminar on November 12th, 13th, and 14th, does that have any in-field stuff, or is that all uh, classroom-style presentations? Um, that will all be classroom-style. Um, it's just a Madonna Expo Center, and we have a main hall. We have a breakout tent, so we can accommodate more topics. And this year we'll have uh, three sessions that are up really focus on uh, irrigation, um, we're going to have, actually, Jim is going to be a speaker uh, at one of them, uh, and uh, my colleague, Jacob Hernandez, who's today's Ag Consulting, they're going to talk about uh, irrigation system efficiency, drip system in particular, and some of the common problems that we see and some of the common uh, fixes and, and kind of give some guidance as to kind of the state of the nation in that area. We have... Um, Another one that's going to be the Advanced Pump Efficiency Program. They're going to bring out their education trailer where they can demonstrate right from your eyes how different changes in your system affect your pump efficiency and how much electricity that costs. Oh, that's um, great. That'll be great. Yeah, yeah. And then we have another one we're really excited about. We have our featured speaker this year is from Australia. His name is Dr. Mike McCarthy, and he's done a lot of research work on irrigation, and um, uh, soil water uh, plant uh, interactions, and he's going to be talking about how to schedule irrigation during heat waves. And uh-huh. That's really, really interesting stuff to say on that topic. And as everybody knows, we're having issues with heat waves more and more. Uh, <laughs> we have we we had a really serious heat wave in the Central Coast area uh, this summer, and very timely. Very yeah, timely. and the Aussies they know something about that. They, they do there. indeed. <laughs> yeah, they do indeed. They they have a budget to do research, and they research the practical problem that goes to safety. And surprise, 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 many of those problems are the same as the Yeah. So tell me more about the sustainability part of the vineyard team and 
uh, it seems like you've rallied around that concept or that, and that word means so many different things to so many different people. It's but a, a, I mean, in, in general, it means more environmentally friendly. Um, for the grower, it may just mean, hey, I, you know, organic or sustainable may be more profitable, or it might be more expensive actually to produce um, food and beverages this way. Um, how how do you how does the vineyard team approach this? And are you certified organic or something else? Um, yeah, tell me more about your right, sustainability right. program. Um, we have our own certification. Um, it's called SIP Certified, stands for Sustainability and Practice. And that actually was an outgrowth of an earlier um, tool that we had called Positive Point System. And that was a self-assessment. Uh, it was a list of questions about various practices, do you do this, do you do that. There were points associated with them. And it wasn't a question of getting a certain score, like crossing the threshold, it was a management fee. So if I did that and I came up with 750 points, um, I may go back and look. There, there are things that I can implement that will raise that score, right? So it was a way of kind of inventorying things that I am and am not doing. SIP certified is, is similar in that it is a, a list of questions that are built around practices, um, but you have to provide a lot of paperwork, a lot of... Um, um, justification uh, to demonstrate that, yes, you are doing this, that, and the other thing. So it's a very um, aggressive kind of certification. Um, it's, it's a different than organic certification. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, organic is a, is a fantastic, and we have some folks who are certified who are also organic certified, and they also may be low-dye rules status uh, certified, or they may be biodynamic certified. Our approach to the SIP certified uh, program and also just our education in general is around reducing negative impact on the environment. So are you doing the things that you need to do to prevent pollution, to conserve resources, to not have a negative impact on the surrounding wildlife and habitat? Equally or perhaps even more important is the social component. You know, are you investing in your employees? Are you treating them fairly? Um, are they happy working for you? Are they safe? Those kinds of components. And then, of course, there's an economic component. You know, you have to be somewhat profitable or it doesn't matter. And, you know, one of the big uh, kind of messages, you can farm organically, you can farm that's certified, you can farm uh, low rules, and you can make a profit. You can be successful in, in business. It's just a question of how you go about it. And everybody's got different restraints and restrictions. It's about doing the best that you can with the resources that you have. And fortunately, in terms of best management practices for sustainably oriented uh, people, a lot of them are not that expensive to um, or there's things that you would want to do anyway because you don't want the worst. You right. don't want, you know, inefficiency of irrigation systems. You don't want pollution. Right. Um, so it's not a question that, so for most of the, for most of our growers, it's a question of how can I farm better? And in this scenario, the way to farm better is to farm sustainably. Yeah, and you know, it, it seems like when the organic movement started, it was like early in my career, um, that it was, um, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, uh, mm -hmm. it was just kind of a pipe dream. Nobody was even thinking that would be something that, that really went mainstream. Of course, it's very mainstream today, but it was usually more expensive to buy organic produce and 
uh, food is more more expensive. But do you think that eventually there will be, you know, a critical mass that farms this way that it will become even even in expense with conventionally grown food, or maybe even less expensive because it's less intensive on chemicals and so forth? I I don't know. <clears throat> I've thought I've thought about that exact topic and. and I'm not sure. What, what I what I do know is that as far as the wines that are certified wines, you can get certification for the vineyard, and if 85% of the grapes that go into a bottle are certified, then that that wine can be certified, and you can put a, a logo on it. Same with as other certifications have a little brand that can go on there. Wines that are sustainably grown and sustainably uh, vintage. They're competing on the shelf along with every other product. Right. So right. It, it seems to be equally viable or as attractive as any other method of, of farming. Yeah. And well, as far I guess as the it... organic side goes, I'm not, I don't know as, as much about the details of the finances on the organic side, but I do know a lot of folks that farm grapes organically, and they, they seem to be just fine. And again, they're competing in the marketplace at the same price point. Yeah. So obviously something's working. Yeah, I mean, if it's on the shelf, it's um, uh, repeatedly. Then somebody's buying it, and a lot of people care about uh, sustainability more now, and they're willing to pay an extra fifty cents or a dollar, or a couple of dollars for their food and beverage, so that they know that it's, as you said, better for the employees, better for the environment, better for them. It's just a, a better way to go. So, well, that's impressive what you folks are doing. Now, tying in with our previous guest discussion on, you know, the state of irrigation uniformity in the vineyard team grower base. Can you kind of give us a state of the union on how well you folks are irrigating? You know, do have, have people been auditing their systems to know whether they are operating properly and are they doing, you know, the maintenance that Jim was talking about that needs to be done on sprinkler and drip irrigation systems? And if they're efficient or if they're inefficient, what are they doing to improve the situation? Yeah, tell tell us about how your grower members are irrigating. Well, I have a I don't have an overview, but I do have a snapshot, and okay. uh, I have statistics training for my PhD, so I always have to give a caveat that the folks that we've looked at are the ones who came forward and said I want to look at this, and so I don't know what's going on with the folks that haven't. Um, yeah. But I also am very familiar with the farming system, and I, I I think that there are some extrapolations that you can make. We have a grant from the Department of Water Resources to conduct a research project. We're in the second year of that project right now. And we're studying how growers think about irrigation, which involves interviews and questionnaires. But as far as how people are irrigating, we have an extensive interview with them on their irrigation practices, but we also perform a distribution uniformity on their other property. And that is what guides the conversation in terms of where yeah. there are inefficiencies that were found, how bad they are, what are some possible improvements. And our project isn't done, and like I said, it's a self-selecting group of folks, but I, I, I do think this probably applies. Number one, to echo what Jim said, growers will tend to irrigate based on their experience, based on their gut, based on their eyes. So even if you have information from some kind of technology, you might agree with it. But yes, that's what my eyes tell me. But at the end of the day, it's your gut that's going to rule, it's going to make the and uh, I have tremendous, tremendous amount of respect for that, but it does call into question the, the value of technology for the grower and whether they're going to use it or not and what role it plays in their decision-making. 
something else that we find is that, much like Jim said, folks generally are not monitoring their system performance. So one of our questions is, when was the last time you had a distribution uniformity evaluation on the system? And the number one answer is, I don't know or I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it's or never. And in some cases, because the manager's been there a long time and they maybe we did it, maybe we didn't. I don't, I personally don't remember. Or probably more commonly, um, there's been a change in managers, you know, over the years. And if there was a, a, a DU that was performed, that information was never passed forward. There's just, there's just a blank spot as far as that knowledge goes. And these, these again, these are folks who are volunteering because they want that information and they have ideas about what they can and cannot do uh, based on that. One of our findings so far, and again, I think this is probably pretty generalizable. Larger companies, when you bring them a, a best management practice and say, hey, this would improve your uniformity by 10% or by, they say, by 0.1, improving your score, or 0.2, improving your score. Um, if it's a piece of equipment, they can do that. That's a line item in a budget. They have a capital budget. They can't do it today, but they can put it into the budget round for the next year, and maybe it stays, maybe it goes, but they have some control about put that in the budget. If it's something that's going to require labor, that's very hard for them to do because they don't have enough labor as it is. Yeah. So if you if you want people to go out and do something, that's very hard for them to do. To increase their staff enough, to increase their their workers enough to do it. The smaller growers are exactly the opposite. Capital investments are, are oh my god, they're just impossible, too expensive. I'm not making enough money on the property to justify that. Um, and again, if you think about it, if a piece of equipment that needs to be replaced costs ten thousand dollars, if that's on a thousand acre vineyard, oh, okay, that's not so bad. If it's on a 30-acre vineyard, that's a big deal. Yeah, sure. Right. And also on the other side of it, the the smaller growers tend to have the ability to utilize labor. And when you think about it, if I'm going to do something on a 1,000-acre vineyard, that's going to take a lot of people to do it. If I'm going to do something on a 30-acre vineyard, I don't need that many people and it won't take that long. There's some differences in how people do their maintenance and how people, what people are willing to do to make improve, potentially. And that's been a pretty interesting Well, there's an old adage that the most important thing that a farmer can put in his or her field are their footprints. Right. You know, and no matter how much tech we have, it's going to need the farmer, the farm manager, to make decisions. And that's what's so difficult about farming is that there's no recipe. It's not like, okay, I, I can dial this in and I know... If I'm achieving this number and this number and this number, then I'm going to get, you know, X, Y, Z result from it. So much of farming is making decisions based on what the weather is, what the markets are wanting, and how the crop year is going. It's very variable. You know, so tech can help us give the farmer some data, but it's never going to make the decision for them, I don't think. I I, I think that's just a pipe dream that, that technology is going to go out and grow our food for us. It's always going to need some sort of human, you know, manipulation of that data to get what what we want. We we don't know exactly what moisture level we want to get the bricks and the grapes, right? And a machine isn't going to tell us that. I, one of the things that uh, so Jacob Hernandez is uh, works with us on this project, and he's the one who actually does the distribution uniformity evaluation. And we have little debriefs after we do an interview, and 
it, it's got to be a joke between the two of us because I'll start to start the conversation. I'll say, well, okay, I think this grower is the smartest grower we've met so far. <laughs> and we've and we've met 57 girls. And and every time it's like, okay, well, I, these other people are great, but this one I think is the smartest one. Oh, my goodness. The, it's the, it's the, getting the better and better, huh? Yeah, well, the intelligence and the, and the expertise, people are clever. I, like, that's one of the things that just, just continually strikes me when we go and talk to these people and we see their system, how clever they are about using what they have and getting the most uh, yeah. result from from that. And so growers are smart, but they have, they have too much on their foot. And yeah. Well, as long as, as water been... is going into the field, as long as water is going into the field, then that's a problem that I don't have to fix right now because I've got seven other problems that I have to fix. Yeah, uh, there's the massive irrigation system. Now it stops the list. They're, right? they're managing soils and plants and seeds and you know the marketing people and, and regulation. And, and, oh yeah, they've got so much uh, stuff going on. I mean, you know, as any business does, but. Um, yeah, if something isn't screaming for attention, they let it kind of go. Well, with the minute or two that we have left, Craig, tell us something that our listening audience would love to know about wine. I mean, sustainable wine. I'm sure there's um, something you'd like to add there. Maybe you just want to know all about Rob's invention. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get we get that we get that question all the time, and one of the, the the versions of that question is I've got a friend and I start looking at it. I've got a friend and they buy organic wine because they say that it tastes better or they look for sustainability because they support it but also because they believe that the products are higher quality. 